All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, last time we were together for Bible study, we were in, well, we were in first and second grade room for a while. That was tight and kind of smelly. And then we were in youth room for one week, and now we're back here. So uh, get our heads back in gear. Some of you were in choir during the fall, so you kind of, you guys are out of the loop as far as what we've been talking about, unless you listened online, uh, which this stuff does go up online. So uh, you might have caught up on it, but we kind of worked our way through the first chunk of 1 Corinthians 11, which is a very, um, a very real here and now kind of issue. Uh, chauvinism, feminism, um, structure of the home, you know, how do we live in a contemporary world uh, without being, you know, basically cavemen and, and cavewomen, and where's the, the lines in the Word of God, and what do they mean, and, and we kind of talk through all that. So we're going to pick up tonight at verse 16, which is really the, just the closing of that section, um, but I think it's powerful. I don't want to miss that before we get into the Lord's Supper stuff, and then we're going to get into the stuff about the Lord's Supper, um, and kind of deal with some of the things that the Corinthian church has to face, and maybe look at them in our lives as well. The idea of Wednesday night, uh, as far as what I can tell you from, from you know, God's leading in my soul is Wednesday night is a chance for us just to simply look into God's Word because there's, there's power, truth, life in the Word of God. But to, to apply it to our lives, to, to look at it, to examine it, to, to explore it together in ways that will change us when we go out. Um, a lot of people are always like, man, when can we get to Revelation? And Revelation's a really cool book, and, and I would love to get into Revelation. But you realize there's very little in Revelation that affects your life as we go through what are the seven seals and what are the seven bowls. Do you understand what I mean? Like, it's cool to, to look at, but, it, but you walk out of here smarter, but maybe not that much different. You know, and, and I'm always kind of like, let's get to the place where we're asking ourselves the hard questions about us. It's way too easy to feel good walking out of a Bible study having learned a bunch of stuff and being real curious and go home feeling good about yourself, but never being challenged about where God is, is digging into your soul and saying, I want this. You got to trust me here, you know, and, and we don't want to do that. So not that, there's, not that we won't get the revelation because we will. I'm just saying that's what, part of the thing that, that, for me, 1 Corinthians is such a great book because it's one thing after another that's just right in front of our face every single day. Uh, and so let's, at verse 16, let's see if anybody recognizes anything like this in any church experience that you've had, okay? Here's what he says. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go down to verse 22. Uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll bite off a chunk of this tonight. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. And it will continue on from there, but uh, we won't even get that far tonight. All right, so we, we went through this thing and, and kind of like, it seems pretty obvious to me that the church at Corinth is a church that tends or trends towards contention, towards fighting, 
towards wrestling with each other and, and bumping and bruising each other in the way that they act and interact. Has anybody ever had experience like that in church in your life? Okay, so it's a normal thing. Now, why does that stuff come into church? Why do people, why do people have that experience that church is a place of, at times, contention, fighting, bruising, wounding? Why is that? Pride. Okay, we, we believe that we know better than other people or we're interested in making ourselves look better than other people. Getting burned out, okay? Well, how do you get burned out? Okay, so doing too much and not being able to feed your soul kind of speaks to like well-intended misery. Like, I'm trying to serve God with all that I've got, but I'm winding up depleting myself, okay? How else? People come into church and their relationship with God personally is not where it needs to be or should be or could be, and it shows up in the way that they interact with people. Does that surprise you that people come into church and their relationship with God is not where it should be or could be? And, and that's, that shouldn't surprise you, but yet it will surprise you. Do you know when it will surprise you? When someone comes into church and acts a way that you don't think they should in church. And you know what we never do is go... Well, you know what? They're probably dealing with some stuff. God's probably working on them. They probably have, probably have a couple things in front of them. They're frustrated. They're, they're irritated with themselves. They're, they're wrestling with God and they're like, strung out because it. we don't do that. We go, how could you in a church? How could you do that? The biblical picture of a church is not a place of a bunch of people who are angelic. Certainly not in the book we're studying. These are not angelic people. The picture of a church is a place where people come because they're in need of a hospital. They're bleeding and bruised and wounded. And, and the only one solution can reach their soul, Jesus Christ. Our program, our music, our preaching, our whatever, none, none of us is going to reach them. We've got to do everything we can to introduce them to the one who can. And, and really, truly, if your church, if our church is going to be a church like the Bible asks us to be, if it's going to be a place for sick spiritual people, including us many, many times, then we have to be ready for the mess. We have to have grace in our hearts. We have to be kind and gentle with each other. We have to expect that people are going to come in. As a matter of fact, when people come in who are either far from God or deeply hurting or uh, you know, acting out or whatever, that should fill our hearts with joy that they would want to come to church, right? We should count that an honor and a privilege, even if it's inconvenient or uncomfortable or a struggle, right? Because Jesus, as you watch him in his life, he went down these paths to the outcasts. He went to touch people that were lepers. Now, that's not a big deal to you and me. Maybe it would if you had a leper in front of you. You might not want to touch the leper because they're all oozy and stuff's falling off of them and stuff. It's kind of nasty. But when you read that story, you don't get that picture because you haven't, you haven't talked to a lot of lepers. You have, but in Israel, the lepers were told that you are to live outside the city so you don't infect anybody else. And you're to go around. Think about this. 
You're to go around if you, if you come across anybody shouting at them, unclean, unclean. Why are you shouting that to them? Stay away from me. Stay away. Could you imagine if, if God told you through the, you know, the law that because of whatever illness you had, you had to go around screaming at people, stay away from me, stay away from me. Think that does some things with your self-image? You know what I mean? Like, that's tough. And Jesus does what? He goes over and touches them. Do you see the, the picture? And so there is going, because we are imperfect people, because people are in process in their relationship, because people have pride, because we don't know better than to burn ourselves out, and what, because we're people, there are going to be fights and quarrels and contentions in church. Now, that doesn't mean we go, whatever, no big deal. We have to be people of honor and integrity that when we mess up, we own it and we fix it. We reconcile, we restore. We don't just brush over it. Well, that's grace, that's grace, that's grace. You have to get to it and say, you know what? That was me. I was off that day or I'm in a bad spot in my life and I shouldn't have said that stuff. I wish I could unsay it. I shouldn't have said it. You know what I mean? We need to own that kind of stuff. So there will be contention in the body of Christ. We should not expect otherwise. And yet the body of Christ should be a place of grace and peace. And so how do those two go together? in, In that is the very like dynamic tension of church. It's living, breathing tension between messed up people trying to live together in love with peace and joy and hope, encouraging each other while at times we tear each other down, but hopefully we do more building than tearing and we're all growing closer to Christ. And the, the strong help the weak, right? Like that's what a church should be, a functional community like that. That's not what the church of Corinth was. Paul says, if you want to be contentious about this, and he's talking about this whole discussion about women covering their heads in church. He says, if you want to be contentious about this, kind of suggesting rhetorically that obviously you're contentious about everything else. Of course, you're going to want to be contentious about this. But he's saying, this issue is not worth having a war over. And, And in church, you know, there are interpersonal tensions, and then there are corporate things. And corporate things are difficult because for us as the American church, we are conditioned to to let our voice be heard and let our opinion be known and have our say, although God did not really set the church up as much of a democracy. He set it up much like He set up His people in the Old Testament, a theocracy. God's in charge. He he picks some some, some leaders that He's going to, you know, hold accountable and, and, and direct and lead, and He's asking the people to follow. That's kind of the way that he set it up. That doesn't fit real well with us. And so we get contentious because we feel like, well, nobody's listening to me and I've got a better idea and I know better and I'll make the right choice if they don't, right? I kind of lived that through with having children too, right? How many of your kids knew better than you as they were growing up? Ever? They, They do, right? Even though they don't, they do. They know better, right? And even if they do know better, ultimately they don't have the authority or the responsibility to make the call on the family because they're not mom and dad. And that's just how God set it up. doesn't mean mom and dad are more valuable or, or, or better people. It just means that's how God set it up. And God's going to say to mom and dad, I'm holding you accountable for what happens in this home, not you know, your children. And so you know, in this contention thing, he's saying there are times where churches get all broiled up and all riled up in contention, and they should not. Paul says here about this thing about women covering their heads. 
there was this idea of standing up for our rights and standing up for the fact that there is no difference between male and female. We're going to fight for this. And Paul says, there's no need to fight for this. You're having a poor testimony. You're doing it the wrong way. And so this is not worth having a war over. Okay? And so as we look at that, we don't have a lot of fights over women covering their heads today in church. Maybe you do. I haven't had many fights like that. But what are the things that we fight over in church that maybe, you know, all across the scale, maybe we should fight, maybe we shouldn't, but what are the, the issues that come up in today's church, in this world, where this is the, this, these are the battleground areas for a church? What kind of things? Money. Money? Okay. What are we going to spend our money on? How much money do we need? Charlotte? Politics? You mean politics like American politics? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Politics, absolutely. I've I've had discussions both ways where, you know, how could a person be a Christian and not be a Democrat? And how can a person be a Christian and not be a Republican? You know what I mean? Like I've had, I've had both discussions. So it's, a, it's an interesting thing how politics can bring contention into a church. Absolutely. What are some other areas? What do we say? Music. 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 Have you ever been in a church where music was an area of contention? Yeah. And it, I mean, it can go anywhere from the style of music that's getting played to the volume of music to the songs that are chosen, right, to who gets to do what. Who gets to sing, who doesn't get to sing, who gets to play, who gets to... All that stuff, right? So music can be a real big area. And, and for many churches over the last 30 years, it has been a big struggle. Music has been a, been a big war. Um, I, you know, I wonder as we look at all of these issues, where they fall on Paul's scale. Paul says this issue is not worth creating a war over, you know? What other issues? Are there other issues that are contentious? Okay, so you're kind of talking about more of like, a, like an effect in terms of when you walk into church and then you feel like nobody cares about me. There's obviously tension in that, and there can be judgment. There can be judgment from the person who walks in and feels ignored towards the people who ignored them, right? Yeah. Clothes you wear, right? Are you wearing the right kind of clothes? Uh, I actually know personally some people who went to a church that if you didn't come in a jacket men, they would give you a jacket. And if you didn't come in a skirt, ladies, they would give you a skirt. That's, that's contentious, right? Because there's the right thing to wear to church. Yeah. Bible versions, which Bible do you use? Yeah. But we have a lot of stuff we fight about, don't we? We're just a bunch of fighters. There is a part of us as human beings that is, you have to be. It's kind of like what I said on Sunday when I said, you know, how much are you taking for granted? The reality is, as human beings is there's a certain level we have to take things for granted because you, we don't have the capacity to be fully aware of everything at all times. We can't have everything on our radar. We just don't have that ability to constantly be tuned into everything all the time. So you pick and choose. Otherwise, you would, you, you would lose it, right? Similarly, we are going to be contentious because we only see certain parts and we are going to be human beings. We have our limits and our limitations when we come into church. And so there is the, the reality 
that we are always going to be up against this. But do we acknowledge it in ourselves? Do we acknowledge my own tendency towards self-assurance? You know, maybe without basis, maybe without cause or reason. And do I, am I growing in my ability to recognize the fruit of the mode that I'm living in? In other words, does contention, when I'm, when I'm standing up for something, when I'm fighting for a position, is the fruit of that godly or ungodly? And I think that's a, that's a good line of demarcation because I think that what happens is we just fight for things that we think are right without ever considering whether this is worth fighting for. And the only reason something's worth fighting for is because it, it produces godliness, not ungodly. Now, there are things that are worth fighting for. If there, are, if there were things that showed up in this church that were of a certain thing, we should fight about it, and we should stand up for it, and we should, you know, there should be a sharp breaking between people. If, if somebody came into this church and said, you know, uh, God, Jehovah God, the God of the Bible is the same as Allah of Islam, we're, we're gonna, we have some fighting to do. And, and we can be gracious and kind about it, but we're not going to move because they're not the same. They are two different things. Uh, and as a matter of fact, any good Muslim would tell you that there's no way that the God depicted in the Word of God is the same as Allah because Allah does not have a son. That's just how it is. So there are things that are true. If somebody comes in here and says, you know what, this, is, this Bible is filled with errors, mistakes, you can't trust it. Now, now we've, got, we've got some stands to take. We've got some things that we have to stick up for, Okay. So there are essentials, there are necessary things, and then there are things that are like important, but not blow everything up over them, you know. And then there are things that are matters of taste and preference, functionality. Um, there are things we do as a church that we do because of the people God has brought us to be part of our church. It's just an expression of this body. And we could look across at a, at a church down the street or, or across town or whatever and say, you guys, you don't do it like we do, and we do it so well, and so you guys are wrong. Do you, you recognize what we just did there? We, we took what God has specifically led in us, and we've tried to judge others by God's work here. Maybe God's not working like that there. Maybe God has them for a different avenue or a different area in the body of Christ. And so we try not to throw stones at each other over things that are matters of taste or matters of calling. Uh, there are churches that are very evangelistic in their call. You know, every Sunday morning you go to them, they're going to preach the Word of God in terms of come to Christ and accept Christ as your Savior. And there is a place in the body of Christ for those churches to do that thing. And that's an awesome thing. But generally speaking, when you find a church like that, the person who is the primary speaker is an evangelist. That's one of their big gifts. And so it shows up in the way that they teach and preach. It's not one of my big gifts. So doesn't show up here like that all the time. So we're more about, hey, here's a bunch of, of broken, hurting, bleeding people. These are people that, are, that need to grow in their faith, and let's look into the Word of God, and let's teach the Word of God so that we can all grow in our relationship, in our faith, in our trust, in our, in our peace by putting our faith in God. And there's, there's method to that. And then at times, that means that as a hospital, we patch people up, and then they get launched out to where God has them. And that's Okay. Right? I, we're not like, what is wrong with you? Why would you leave our church? There's a body of Christ. And maybe there's times where God brings people in here for a little while and, and they do the thing. I, I remember early in our, in our history, there was a lady that came out 
a really sweet lady, um, and she came out all the time. Um, she had like an Irish accent. Some of you guys remember, maybe you remember her. Um, I don't remember. I could probably guess at her name, but I don't want to. But it was, she was a real sweetheart, and we loved her to death. But I could tell right from the get, she's here for a window. She's here for a, a, a kind of in-between thing, a, a holdover station, a, a little bit of healing. And then she's, then God took her and, and put her out. There was, a, there was a couple that came, sweet couple, loved them to death. And they had come from a church where there was wreckage um, in, in their relationship with that church. And, we, and they came for about, I would say about six months, and very high-capacity people. And, and when they finally like, were, had, had really had the work of God done inside them to be healed, to be whole, you know what they did? They went back and made things right with their church. It's good. And, they, and he sat with me, oh, Mark, we're sorry we're going to leave. I was like, praise the Lord. This is what we're after is good stuff like that going on. Because the work of God is happening here, right? And so in, in all of this stuff, there, there is like humanity, the wreckage of humanity in church. And we've got to acknowledge it in ourselves. And we've got to acknowledge it in the, in the, the zone in which we're in. You know, it's like, that's what we expect. If we're offering salvation, we should expect people to come in who need saving, Right? And maybe their first time in, because they need saving so bad, they're not going to be like, oh, give it to me. They're going to be like, I don't know about this. Sounds good, but I don't know if I can trust it. Sounds like something that might be interesting, but I don't get it yet. I don't understand it yet. And, and you know, we got it. We take some time to get down that road with people. So I, this happened all the time in youth group. There were kids that would come in who were like, you know, sit in the youth group like, go ahead, try to get through to me, you know. And, and you like just do your thing and you preach and you welcome them and you're talking and playing games and whatever. And over time, some of them out the door and some of them open up, right? But they come in. I don't say, you know, how could somebody come into church closed off like that? I understand people who need a Savior don't always feel safe asking for saving. And some of the, the privilege we have in ministering is opening our hands and opening the doors to them. So Paul says to them, you don't need to be contentious about this. He says, you know, what should you do? He says, we don't have any other practice, nor do the churches of God. So what he says is this. Listen, when it comes down to these debatable matters, these issues that that I'm talking to you, here's what I'll tell you. Mainstream Christianity, including the apostles and including all the churches that Paul's affiliated with, we do it this way. So so come along and join us. And there is, for us, in, you know, there's... Something that feeds your pride to be the first one to try something new and to step out into something new. But there is benefit to us joining the body of Christ at large and, and looking at those who have gone before and learning from them uh, and, and following in step with them. Not trying to copy somebody, but recognizing that there's power in the, in the community, in the body of Christ. Okay? So basically, he says, in the area of women covering their heads, follow God's leading by looking at what God says, what God has done, and the way faithful people of God act. A master distractor. The enemy is a master distractor. So focus on the, all these little battles, all these little arguments, all these little things that don't get you anywhere so that you're, you're spending all your time and energy on stuff that won't make any difference and you're leaving aside the stuff that actually would. The stuff that actually would make a difference requires you to function as the body of Christ in unity. So anything that brings division and, and wreckage there, great. You know, that's what, that's what he wants to do. I think all of us experience that in our life day by day. 
You probably, if you put your head on the pillow tonight and you talk to the Lord for a little while, what you recognize is that maybe some of the stuff that occupied your mind and your emotions for this day really don't matter that much or this week or this year so far or whatever, you know? I mean, I, right now, there's a couple things that are happening in my life that feel like they just keep <laughs> trying to pull my attention towards them. And the battle is, will I let myself get off track of what God's called me to do for these things that I won't care about in five years or 10 years, but they feel really important today? Do you know what I mean? Has that ever happened to you? Where it's like, this, this stuff is really urgent and it's really big and it's maybe unfair or it's maybe overwhelming or whatever, and it just stays on your mind. And, and what it effectively does is distracts you from what God has asked you to really do, who God's made you to be. So it takes, when you get into some of these fights like this, you get into to, to arguments, you get into these battles of, you know, battle lines are drawn and I have a grudge against this person and I'm not talking to them and they did me wrong and I'm going to talk about them to everybody else. Can you see all the wasted words and energy and time and focus that goes on there? And how nothing for the kingdom of God's going on, it's diverted to other things. Is that, is that like the light bulb go on there? Like, do you understand that strategy? Have you ever been in an argument with somebody close to you, say your spouse, and you're arguing and arguing and arguing, and you keep saying the same thing, and they keep saying the same thing for like a couple, couple hours? Anybody ever, everybody else ever done that? Right? No, no, no. You didn't hear what I said. I heard what you said, but you didn't hear what I said. And then I go into this. Oh, no, no. I heard what you said, but you never listened to what I said, which is this. And you just keep saying the same thing over and over again. And have you ever, in the middle of that one time, just said, you know what? This is dumb. Let's work towards what we should do. And watch all of a sudden, all this energy and all this excitement and all this, the hurt that's flying around here, watch it go away as we come together. And there's like this supernatural power that God brings in a marriage when you bond together instead of fight against each other. But you, it just feels so meaningful to stand up and, and, and you know, loudly express what I think and what I feel because you're clearly missing it, you know? But it's just a diversion. Of, you're wasting time that you'll never get back. You're, you're pouring out energy that doesn't get you anywhere. You're actually pouring out woundedness that you're going to have to see God heal later. You're kind of stepping backwards in it. So where do all these fights come from? Um, somebody take your Bible and look up James chapter 4 for me. I need somebody to read out loud the first three verses of James 4 for me. See where fights come from, where this contentious spirit comes from inside of us, according to, to James, first pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Where do fights and quarrels come from, according to James? Which is another way of saying... What I want, selfishness, self-centeredness. I want this, and so I will fight to get it. I will fight to get what I want. Now, who is my God? Who am I serving? Who's in charge? Me. Fights and quarrels, according to James, is an indication that I'm living selfishly. Uh That cuts deep, doesn't it? So again, that doesn't mean that there's not time to disagree, but, there's, but James says when you fight and quarrel about it, when you, when you battle against someone for it, 
you are, you are acting out of a self-centered desire. You kill and you can't get, and, you pr- and then what do you do? You pray for it. Have you ever prayed for what you want and been frustrated when it didn't come your way? Kind of fought with God about it? Where, what were you praying in? You were praying in selfishness. You were praying in pride. You were praying in like, I know what you should do, God. James says, that's the root of it. And that is not the Spirit of God in us. That is not the work of God. I will tell you this. There are times where we can disagree, but we can disagree in a way that is Spirit-honoring and Spirit-led and Spirit-filled as opposed to fighting and wrestling and beating each other up and hurting each other. And that's, to me, that's a great place of maturity in our relationships with each other. Do you know how to disagree with someone without having to be so irritated that you blow up, that that's how you finally tell them that you disagree as you blow up? Or in your disagreeing, it's almost impossible for you to stop yourself from being sharp and dismissive and demeaning with your words? Or does it have to come from anger? You know what I mean? Or what, what James suggests there is all of that stuff is from your flesh. It almost feels like, you know, we try to be good Christians who never fight and we never say anything bad and we never get upset. And so when we finally do get upset, it's a volcano, right? But I think we misunderstand. I don't think it's a bad thing to go, you know what, I really disagree with you on that and here's why. I understand what you're saying and I think I see where you're coming from, but here's what I think. And, and be there with it. As opposed to, what's wrong with you? What kind of person thinks that way? How could you even think that? like that? Those are words of demeaning. Those are words of dismissing and saying, you're worthless, you're an idiot, you're, you're ridiculous for thinking the way you think. And that certainly doesn't build up. Ephesians 4, don't say what tears down, say what builds up. That certainly doesn't build up. It poisons the discussion because now what the person has to defend themselves against is not that opinion, but against being an idiot. How do you defend that? Well, no, I'm, I'm not an idiot. There was one time I did something. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden you're like way over here in the discussion and it's not even really the discussion. So what I would say to you is we need to mature in our interactions, in our interrelationships. They need to be spirit-led. We cannot afford, if the cause of Christ really matters, if Jesus Christ saved you for his kingdom and he has work for you to do, then we cannot afford to waste energy mindfully wasting it, needlessly wasting it on fights and quarrels that take us nowhere, that are pulling at stuff that I want for myself that in about 30 minutes I won't even care about. Right? Because what happens is when I give my life to those things, I act like these things are the things that matter and the thing that I set aside is the cause of Christ, the work of God. Living in the Spirit of God, living by faith in the Son of God. I set that stuff aside and I live like this is the stuff I really want. And we can't afford If the cause of Christ is the biggest thing that ever happened in your life, everything you've got, everything you can put into it's got to go for the cause of Christ. Living in the Spirit, walking by faith and not by sight, right? And so Paul says to them, this whole thing about whether women have the right to go uncovered or not, let it go. Just be over it. Be done with it. Move on. No other church does that. No other apostle thinks that way. I've given you some solid reasoning, looking to the design of God. Move on. Spend your energy another place. Then he gets into the Lord's Supper, 
which is a fascinating discussion. He starts off this discussion by saying, in the following, I have no praise for you. Um, wow, that's, not a, that's an ominous beginning. I have no praise for you. He's contrasting it to, back in verse 2, he said to them, I do praise you because you hold to my teaching. Um, I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. So in that, there was some, like, some opportunity for Paul to say, yes, you did at least this well. In this area, the area of the Lord's Supper, the area of division in the Lord's Supper in the church of God, Paul says, I've got no praise for you. And I don't know if we can fully appreciate what's going on here because it's not the way we do church or communion, but I'll do my best to kind of explain it to you as we get into it a little bit. Um, the, in general, many people believe that uh, believers, as they met in Acts 2, they met from home to home on every single night, and they had meals together. Many scholars believe that early believers celebrated communion at every meal. You know how we say grace? Thank you, Lord, for the food. Thank you for what you've given to us at every meal. Many people believe that the early believers were so overwhelmed with Christ's death for them that every, every chance they had, they celebrated it together, which is a great thing, right? Except what happens when you celebrate something all the time? You take it for granted. And sure enough, they did. Sure enough, it lost some of its preciousness, some of its specialness. Um, and it became a place where their flesh and their self-centeredness ran amok. And it became something that tore the church down instead of building it up. And so Paul says, I have no praise for you in this. In this zone that I'm going to talk about, there's nothing to affirm. There's nothing to compliment. There's nothing to say, you did a good job here. And so he starts off by saying, now, now just these words, let these words hit you. Because this is an amazing statement. In the first place, where he says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 17, for your meetings do more harm than good. What meetings is he talking about? Church. When you get together as the body of Christ to worship God, to learn about the Bible, and clearly in the context, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, what comes out of it is more negative than positive. Now, so, I mean, that's almost like, how can that be, except it's so simple. If you're getting together as a bunch of people who are pulling tug of war towards me, 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 it's obviously not doing any spiritual good for you or for the people around you engaged in this tug of war, and it probably is echoing out into the body. So it makes sense, except when you talk about church, how can it be a bad thing to have church together? But that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, essentially, you would be better off to stop meeting altogether than to meet like this. Because you're actually going into the negative spiritually as you meet together instead of anything positive coming out of it. Now, is that still possible today? That church service, people get together in the name of Christ and more harm is done than good. How would you know? What would, what would that look like? Does anybody have any ideas about what that would look like? Steve? Yeah, the, 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 who, got, who has the, the most forward-thinking fashion or who gets noticed the most kind of thing? Yeah. How else? 
Yeah, and I think that what you're talking about, leaving a church feeling more positive than negative, uh, it was always the goal, right? But I think there's always the, the enemy that would love to get your attention onto somebody, something else, so that you miss that. But what you're, what you're expressing is that a church service in which the Spirit of God is not the power behind what is done, but the work of man is done. In other words, we could get together in the name of Christ and do it on our own. And if we do that, we actually do more harm than good. We bring people in and we act like we're connecting with God, but we're not. We teach people and we model a relationship with Christ that's fake. Now that's more harm than good, isn't it? Offer them a counterfeit, tell them they got the real thing, send them on their way and say, you figured it out, but they don't have anything. Because we didn't really interact in the Spirit of God. We interacted in our flesh. So more harm than good, right? Other ideas, how that can be more harm than good when, we, when a church gets together. Yeah. And I think that, what you're talking about as turmoil in a church, is the responsibility of the church at large. I mean, it can certainly be driven by leadership and their choices and the way that they present things. But in general, everybody has a part in that. You know, and if we've allowed controversy or some kind of a, you know, a battle to take over the tone of the church, then what's really needed before anything gets settled is repentance. You know, what we really need is to fall humbly before the Lord and say, Lord, we want to give control back to you and stop pulling for it ourselves because this has got to be your church. And we don't necessarily know the right way to go, but we want to do it in the spirit and not in all this mess. And that's a, it's a tricky thing to evaluate from looking, like you're saying, you don't know what's going on up in, inside of somebody up on the worship team. But I will say this, if, if a worship team or a musician of any kind um, gets up and it just is always a show, that's going to be detrimental to people's spiritual health. It sets something up front that isn't worthy of being up front because it doesn't point people to the only reason you would be up front for them to see Jesus. Uh, I've been, I have actually been in church services before where I thought, um, this guy speaking just really wants us to think he's a great guy. Like every story was about how he was, you know, the hero and the rescuer and the spiritual giant. And he was like the best thing that ever happened. His father of the year, husband of the century, all that stuff. And, you know, it was like, it was just crazy. You just walked away with this sense that this was not about God's work in my life. This was about, look at me. And again, we can't really judge that, but there's a problem if that's what's coming off. Whether it's intended or not, there's a problem if what comes off is look at me and not look at him, right? Exactly. So, And we're all human beings susceptible to that downfall. So it's not about throwing stones as much as it's about letting the Spirit of God look at us because, because this is not a game. The Spirit of God being in charge of your life is your birthright, it is the plan of God, but it's also the only hope that you have and anybody else around you has, is if it's all about Him. And so we have to be on guard. So like Mary says, it can be about a pastor trying to draw attention, but it can be about a church that like, falls into worshiping somebody who's really on fire for God, and it can't be about that either. So it has to always be deliberately directed towards Christ. And you know what I think I find? Because in Churches and religions, we like to do things by these black and white rules. It looks like this, it looks like that. 
People in general have more intuition, especially spiritually. If you're a child of God, you have more intuition than we give ourselves credit for. And, and we're not perfect because our humanity gets in the way. But a lot of times if somebody's involved in worship, there's something inside of you that says, if, if somebody's genuinely involved in worship, there's a part of you that goes, that's so cool. And if somebody is like, you know, super, you know, look at me, it's like, ugh. You know what I mean? There's, and, I, and it's not necessarily that that's absolute because we're, we're all susceptible. But the reality is you have a sense in you of, is this about him or is this about them? And depending on what you pick up there, right or wrong, will depend on whether it's an irritation or a blessing to you, right? So, and same thing up here. Like you could, people could think that, well, Mark really thinks he's, you know, all that because he's talking about this. And okay, so it's not what I'm trying to do, but if it is, that's a problem. And they're going to be irritated by that rather than blessed by that. Do you know what I mean? So it's a thing for us to just be humbled about, to be before the Lord and say, God, you have to take these things out of us because what, what use is it, what worth is it for us as a church to get together in the name of Christ and not serve the cause of Christ? For Him not to be the one who's ruling and reigning and moving and working, what, what good is it? And, and as a matter of fact, every service that we have that the Spirit of God is not completely in charge and isn't moving and isn't working, is doing more harm than good. Because it gives people the illusion that they've come to do something spiritually meaningful and they haven't. I'm not saying we could stop something spiritual meaningful happening in somebody's life who's open. I'm just saying if we as a church are not collectively, humbly dependent on the Spirit of God, then we really are pointing people in the wrong direction. We can't do that. And that's clearly what the church of Corinth was doing. They thought this was about winning an argument. They thought about proving who was the smartest, who was the wisest. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Love builds up. And he's calling us to love. He's calling us to build one another up. And there's only one way to build each other up, Ephesians 4. It's because the Spirit has come and given us one Savior and one Lord and one baptism and one word and one hope. And without that, there is nothing there is nowhere to be.